We are doing a series thinking about who God is and what he does, especially in relation to our resources and money. So we've looked at God being our provider, that everything we have and even the ability to make money comes from him. We've thought about God as our security, that this delusional idea that money makes us safe or life more comfortable isn't true and we need to find our security in God. And we've looked at God's generous nature, meaning we should be generous with what we have. So, so far we've been thinking about what do we do with the money that we have. Today I want to think about what do we do with the money that we don't have. And I've come down here to film it at the quay because this is the place where I had a personal epiphany on this issue. But also it's going to allow us to do something we haven't done for a long time and that is go full country file. Come on Belle. Today we are thinking about the idea of God as our perfecter. It's about what God wants to do in our life. His desire, his plan for us is to build in us the image of Jesus so that our attitudes and behaviour, our character, our general awesomeness is like Jesus. And it's important we bear that in mind because sometimes we can get the idea that God's more like Father Christmas who just wants to give us good stuff. So. God wants us to be rich, successful, powerful, even to be continually happy. But that isn't what God wants. He wants to build in us the likeness of Jesus. There's a story in the Gospels where Jesus meets this young guy who is wealthy, pious Jew, who has a sense of importance in his society, in his community. He says to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus talks about keeping the law and the prophets. And this guy says, I've done that all the time. And it says, Jesus looks at him and loves him and says, one thing you lack, take all your rich possessions, sell them, give it to the poor and come and follow me. And this young man walks away sad because he doesn't want to give up his wealth. Now, this verse is terrifying. You know, if we read this, we should take notice of why it scares us, why that feels so uncomfortable. But we should also note that this is the only time Jesus tells anyone to do that. So if it's not a universal principle, if as Christians we're not supposed to sell everything we own and give it to the poor, what's going on here? Well, Jesus is looking at this guy and he knows him. He's treating him as an individual. He is diagnosing this guy's problem, which is really important. This is one of the reasons we do discipleship groups because the Holy Spirit knows us and our situation. And so we say to the Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? As opposed to one person at the front telling a hundred people, this is what we all should do. Anyway, Jesus is diagnosing this guy and this guy has a problem with wealth. What he is trying to do is satisfy his spiritual thirst with his possessions, with his stuff. Now, I've chosen to talk about spiritual thirst because there's other stories in the Bible where Jesus diagnoses people differently. 
And there's a story in John 4 where he meets a Samaritan woman at a well. And he diagnoses her spiritual thirst as something different. She is using men, her relationships with men, to obtain status, importance, to feel love, to feel security. And he, draws, he pulls that out as the issue. And he says, you won't find the water you need in any of those because I am the living water. Only I can satisfy your spiritual thirst. And that's what he's saying to this young man. You are buying all this stuff and you think it will satisfy your spiritual thirst, but only I can satisfy your spiritual thirst. So let me tell you about my epiphany. We were down here one afternoon and I was starving hungry. And we were walking past people in the cafes and restaurants and they were eating muffins and uh, sausage baps and chocolate brownies and tuna melt paninis. And they were drinking cappuccinos and elder, sparkling elderflower press and West Coast IPA. And we didn't have any money, it was at the end of the month, and so we couldn't stop and I couldn't satisfy my hunger. And this set a little chain of thoughts going in me. And the first was, I felt it was such an injustice. Why should these people get to enjoy their muffins and brownies and tuna melts and I didn't get to? Why should they get to have a West Coast IPA and I didn't? How unfair was that? and I started to despise these people. And then I had a little pity party where I felt sorry for myself and I enjoyed that warm feeling of feeling specially singled out to have a miserable experience. And then I thought about the fact that we do give money away, that we do choose to, to give money to the church and to other things. And I thought, if I had that money, I could buy those things, but I don't. And so I then enjoyed the feeling of some self-righteous pride and was able to look down on the people around me. Now, I think this is quite a common thought process we can go through when faced with comparisons of what other people have that we don't have, things that we wish we had. We can feel all sorts of feelings of injustice, self-pity, or pride around these areas. But the epiphany was when I noticed these thoughts and I realized that what God is doing with me and money is as much about what I don't have as what I do have. It's my attitude to the things that I wish I had but don't as much as what I do with the things I do have. And the truth is, if my resources were unlimited, I would just become an insatiable appetite. I would have had the muffin, the sausage back, the chocolate brownie, the tuna melt. I would have drunk cappuccinos, lattes, milkshake, elderflower press and the West Coast IPA. My house would be full of stuff. I would have all the gadgets I want. I would have Blu-rays still in their wrappers. I would have equipment for sports I don't play and stuff for hobbies that I don't pursue anymore. I would have the cars, the watches. I am an insatiable pit of need. 
And that is what it's like. It is like we are digging a pit, trying to break water, trying to find water, because we think these objects, our possessions, our stuff, will make us feel alive. And God uses these limits, the things we don't have, to disciple us. It's like any parent with a child. If we just said yes to everything a child wants, what we would end up is with a spoilt, entitled brat. But we don't because we want our children to learn there are limits, to learn to be resilient and cope without stuff they want whenever they want it, to learn to steward the resources they do have, to appreciate with gratitude all the things they already have and not just concentrate on the stuff that they don't have. And perhaps that is a better way to understand the limits that we have in our personal finances, the money we don't have, to see it as a restraint that God puts around us so that we can learn to be responsible with what we do have, to turn our focus off of the stuff that we wish we had, the money we wish we had, and realize that we are given an opportunity with the stuff that we do have. And to discover in those places where we aren't able to get what we think would bring us life, that we can learn to trust God to meet us in that place and give us everything we truly need. In Philippians 4, Paul writes this, I have learnt to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. We can't learn this sort of radical contentment by trusting in our stuff, by trying to accumulate more and more. We can only learn it in him who gives us strength. And so this is one of the ways that God perfects us, by giving us limits and boundaries that we learn character through, instead of just giving us everything we want like a spoiled child. So we can fight against this, we can get upset and feel it's an injustice, or we can learn to lean into it by being grateful for what we do have and being intentionally generous with those things and, and living within those boundaries. So let's do a bit of country file while we think about that. God built this leaning in to the limits into the way he structured the festivals and offerings in the Old Testament. There was a festival called the First Fruits where people would bring the first fruits of the harvest, the things that had uh, ripened early, they would bring all of it and offer it to God and they would do it with lots of celebration and remembering all the good things God had done for them and they would have a feast but it was 50 days, seven weeks, until the rest of the harvest would ripen. And so they are bringing in their produce and giving it to God, not knowing what's gonna happen in the next seven weeks. Maybe there would be too much rain, maybe there wouldn't be enough rain, maybe there would be pestilence or pests or, or anything could happen, but they have placed themselves in a place of trust and vulnerability before God because they have given the first fruits. 
So practically for us, maybe this means about being generous, not with what we have left over, but choosing to be generous with what we start with, to choose to be in a place of vulnerability with our resources before God, maybe choosing to limit how we spend stuff, maybe choosing when our act of generosity happens before our bills, maybe even before the tax man takes his stuff. Maybe it is choosing to restrict certain parts of our life as a sort of spiritual fast. In the story we thought about of the rich young ruler, he walked away sad because he wasn't willing to give up his wealth. But there is another rich young ruler in that story. Jesus was a young man who had all the wealth of heaven at his disposal, but gave it up for our sakes. And not only did he give up his wealth and his privilege and his status, but he gave up everything to the point of dying on the cross. He didn't hold anything back. Now, interestingly, his death at Passover was three days before his resurrection that happened at the festival of first fruits. His resurrection, that new abundant life, was the first fruit. And 50 days later at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came to all believers. We have been opened up this way to live a fullness of life that isn't dependent on our wealth, that isn't about our possessions, that isn't about what we have, but instead found in the perfecting work of God. So I wanna finish with a final blessing from Psalm 4, a way of praying over ourselves that we would find true riches, true spiritual water from God alone. And it says this, let your face smile upon us, Lord. You have given me greater joy than those who have abundant harvest of grain and new wine. In peace, I will lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord will keep me safe. God, we pray that you would help us reframe our understanding of our stuff. And instead of thinking about what we don't have and what we wish we had, instead of comparing, we would understand that we live life within boundaries, within limits. And it's in that place that you are going to perfect us. Lord, we wanna come more and more like Jesus in his character, in his behavior, in his worldview, in his security, in his general awesomeness. We wanna be changed like that, Lord. And so we wanna lean in and just give you permission to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.